get started for another epic episode of Untold Stories. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin, crypto, Web3, just really all influential leaders, all brilliant people, those who have turned trauma into success, those who have built crazy, crazy businesses, those who are reinventing finance or reinventing, like, reinventing any industry using crypto and blockchain rails, talking about Bitcoin being the soundest money in the world. And here today, and, and, and when we understand how this whole movement came to be, we can understand where we are right now in the larger scheme of things, where we are right going. I just read a crazy statistic this morning that Bitcoin is, is at, Bitcoin adoption is at the same place that the internet adoption was in 1995, but it's, it's going twice as fast. So by, by 2000, by in four years, we're going to be at the same type of adoption that we had on the internet as 2005. Bitcoin will have reached a billion people. So imagine how that's going to completely affect the, the larger crypto markets and all the industries and DeFi and NFTs and all the industries uh, that operate in and around it. And here today to talk about some of the, the credit and capital markets, Milo Credit, uh, Joseph Rupena, jo thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. You're the founder and CEO of Milo Credit, a financial technology company that offers uh, home loans to global and crypto consumers. So before you started working with Bitcoin, you were offering um, uh, mortgages and home loans to, I would say, like di somewhat disenfranchised people, like those who are foreigners or those who have a lot of assets but don't earn much income anymore because they live off their assets and they do all types of businesses that way. They invest in different assets. You know, they always say invest in assets, not liabilities. Most people to, to be able to like uh, continue growing your empire and your wealth, you're not really making a paycheck every day. You're building off your current assets, but really the only way to get a mortgage from your local bank or any type of loan is you need to have that like really, really large paycheck. Uh, there are no other ways. So you've invented like a whole new risk method and a whole um, a whole different mechanism for for doing loans. And now you do crypto mortgages and you're offering amazing rates for uh, you've worked with with folks from 63 different countries. And so there's a lot of different topics that we could talk about today. Prior to to running Milo Credit, you uh, worked at Goldman Sachs, you were a portfolio manager and head trader at another uh, investment firm that had a billion dollars under assets. You worked at financial advisor at Morgan Stanley for in working for international clients. So there's a lot of like the macro world is going right now. But we were talking something very interesting. I think today or tomorrow, the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates. The whole world has been like on pins and needles. The crypto markets has been like Bitcoin has been in the tightest range it's ever been in. There's a Russia, Ukraine war. Commodities are going crazy. Nickel markets are having to be shut down. But you pointed something out to me prior is that you, in 2008, 2018, the rates were in fact higher than they are now. And we were in crazy bull markets. Everyone was making money. Everything was doing really, really well. Economy was strong. So why, you know, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Did I, any, did I miss anything about your intro? And why do you think people are worried now when the economy is in fact stronger than it was in 2018? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's a lot of a lot of sort of great great points in there. You know, I would sort of add that uh, you know, sort of that statistic of 63 countries. It's actually closer to 90 plus countries where people have applied now. Oh, and wow. uh, you know, it was really sort of rooted in uh, you know our business and sort of you know why I started Milo was to be able to help customers that I felt were really great consumers, uh, but the existing um, sort of financial system wasn't really designed for them. And then really sort of this aspect that the world is changing in the way that people are choosing to invest their wealth, where they're allocating it, you know, specifically into crypto um, is something that I see as a broader trend that over time, uh, more and more people will continue to create wealth. Uh, and it's important for uh, companies to come up with unique solutions for them to, to be able to account for that. Um, and that the financial system that was built over the last hundred years is probably not the same uh, of how it's going to look for the next hundred years. And, and, and companies need to basically adapt to that. How can they adapt to that? I think it really comes down to just thinking about, um, you know, from a consumer perspective, you know, what are the technologies that are out there today that didn't exist, you know, five years ago or, or specifically, right, you know, sort of Bitcoin didn't exist, you know, 13 years ago, um, you know, that aspect of being able to, um, you know, start with the fundamental premise of saying, is this a good consumer? Does this consumer have the ability to pay? And if so, you know, how do we get com- comfortable underwriting this consumer and, and, and ultimately delivering, you know, what are, what are very, very good assets to to people that um, you know sort of deserve credit, um, so I think it's somewhat you know starting from the foundation and, and sort of building upon uh, sort of this new this new foundation um, as opposed to trying to take the old chassis and having to change that because it's it's, it's very very hard to change um, the existing system. It all, seems like it all require it all relies on like risk and hedging your risk and having different middlemen who take a position on that risk. There's future markets. I mean, you could put you could put loans into into baskets we saw that in 2008 2009 so you guys have been yep. reinventing this whole industry and congratulations on your 17 million dollar raise by the way oh yeah thank you thank you yeah that's a that's a big milestone uh for for us as a company and, and, and the team uh to be able to continue to, to to go on this path and, and and sort of you know broaden our mission and sort of our purpose to be able to help more and more consumers and you know i think the really exciting part for us um the previous month was announcing this this you know sort of first thirty year crypto mortgage um, to be able to be part of that wave that I just described and and, and sort of helping more consumers. Uh, so so that seventeen million is a big part of that for us to be able to do that. It's taking a huge faith in the future of Bitcoin too, because you're offering these these very very long term. I mean, it's the cor- it's the over the course of of most of of a person's life. So you're able to collateralize this new asset that's like ten years old, uh, in and 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 turning that into like wealth creation for people. It's like, I can't think of any other bare asset that could ever be used as like collateralizing a loan that where you have the rates this low, like, like a baseball card, like what else would you, would you do? Yeah. I think that that's the, the beauty of, of sort of being able to combine collateral, right. With, with sort of Bitcoin and crypto with the combination of real estate and saying, well, how do you, how do you mitigate some of that risk? Um, where you have real estate, which is fairly liquid but has value. Um, you know, I think that today, if you had a home, you, you know, people would assume it's, it is fairly liquid since there's so much demand to buy homes out there. Um, but being able to combine that asset with um, the crypto that that is liquid that you can um, possibly you know liquidate to, to make payments in the event of, of some some stress, um, I think it just becomes a better structure uh, because it's much more in line with uh, how people think about their wealth. Right? They don't think about it. People like to be able to have 
liquidity. And they'd like to be able to you know, swap in and out of things. They'd like to be able to sell. They'd like to be able to have some marketability around their assets. So I think that this, this definitely sort of combines the best of both worlds. You brought up an interesting fact about, about homes. And I kind of want to, maybe you have a, a good insight for us, is that especially started in 2019, the end of, you know, the end of 2019, early 2020 when COVID hit, but something changed. Uh, you and I have lived through the the crazy financial crisis, the housing market market crisis of 2008, yeah. 2007, whatever. So we're yeah. always like nervous. But before that, housing was was relatively stable for for decades, right? But and how are we looking? And why are homes so in in demand right now? Is it that we didn't build enough? Are are is it that we can work remotely from our homes now? So the home is now more of like a a sanctuary, a place you can work, or a home base and that was were we not going in that direction prior to COVID? Yeah, I think that if you if you you know sort of step back a little bit and sort of you look at historically you know what what housing has meant and you know if you there's always been sort of these cycles you know where sort of the desire to to, to buy homes has sort of ebbed and flowed. Um, I think that if you go back to sort of early two thousands, um, there is a mandate uh, to uh, incentivize homeownership and sort of in two thousand and three. Um, that allowed uh, the beginning of sort of this, you know, bull market in real estate that, that really sort of pushed into sort of, unfortunately, the, the financial crisis of sort of 2008, 2009. Um, but it was really driven that people wanted to buy homes and it became a fantastic asset. And for, for much of sort of the last 50 years, you've really only had two asset classes to really create wealth. And that was real estate and the equity markets. So you really had those, those, those two places to, to be able to allocate to. Um, and, you know, after having sort of the, the the hangover of 2009 with housing, I think it became much more of a dormant asset class. And so real estate for 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 the better part of about you know sort of eight nine years, you know housing wasn't seen as that asset class where you could actually create wealth. Um, and then um, things changed, you know, with with COVID specifically with COVID, where um, you know you had this alternative where people could essentially buy in the equity markets through sort of 2010 to through 2000 sort of 20. Um, and the beneficiary there, I think, was crypto. Because it became this third asset class that you could sort of allocate um, and, and really create wealth. Um, but then COVID comes along, and uh, people started to think differently about housing. People started to think differently about you know wanting to buy homes and sort of diversify, and then sort of changing um, from just being a renter into actually buying homes. And so there's that shift. Uh, and then the other thing that happened was sort of this trend where uh, sort of millennials coming into sort of peak home buying years um, and being in a, a really of, really a strong financial position. Yep, a lot, lot of lot of sort of macro tailwinds that that allowed all this to happen. So you know, having having a very very strong consumer uh, with a lot of savings, you know, coming out of the sort of COVID um, where they weren't able to travel, they weren't able to spend, they weren't able to do a lot of these things, and sort of being in a really really strong financial position, uh, and then rates being at all time lows, and and then on top of that, having a three to four million home shortage across the country. Um, so these were all sort of really big um, sort of macro trends that were happening um, that really takes us into a really, really tight housing market um, that a lot of people started experiencing last year saying, here, I want to buy a home. Uh, and then we were seeing that for every loan that we did, there was roughly sort of five to seven offers on that home. And then fast forwarding to this year, and for every home that gets sold, there's probably 13 to 15 yeah. uh, people who would buy that home almost immediately. So there's not a lot of inventory. Rates are still historically low, and you know people have have wealth to actually afford these homes. So uh, it, it's a really fascinating time uh, with all of these things happening simultaneously, um, which is one of the reasons why I think the housing market remains and, and will probably continue to be strong, um, you know, for for sort of at least sort of short to medium run. 
a lot of uh, talk to talk to anyone who who's whose valuation is like doubled of their home, and the first thing they'll say is like, "Where would I go?" And and I I say that the same yeah. thing too. Where would I go? Um, yeah. I, is there any value in in the rest of the country? Is there any like underserved or like have you noticing any areas of of our country where you can still get a good value of a of a house? I think we've definitely seen that uh, people are moving to certain pockets. Um, so we're, we're, we're based in Miami, but we've done loans all across the country. Um, and you definitely are seeing that consumers are moving to other pockets, uh, Orlando, Tampa, the West Coast, Naples, and, and Florida, and then other cities that are not sort of the main um, you know, major hubs that, that you would imagine. Because I think that people do feel that they can get good value there. You know, if you think about where people are moving, um, you definitely saw that shift to Florida, uh, Texas and some other sort of sunbelt uh, markets from the Northeast. And, and, yeah. and I think that there's, there's good value there. It's a, it's almost like um, what's going on in the past two years is almost like a, uh, a, a mass human migration, because if you look at the over, over at Europe too, people are moving towards uh, freer States, of course, and things like that, but they're moving towards like better weather. Like let's, that's the elephant in the room here. They're looking, they're going towards places that are friendly, but also have better weather. And I think it's a mixture of like climate change is, is getting worse. And so the, the places in the North uh, where it's just going to get colder, combine that with the crazy politics of, of the Northern States that, that had these crazy lockdowns. And it wasn't that lockdowns were bad. It was that, that for a lot of these places, it was like one or two people in a room saying, let's shut down the economy. Let's lock everything down. And there was no like, hey, let's have a conversation about this. And people were like, shoot, I'm in my house and I'm now I'm locked down for the next year or two. We saw that all over Europe and people are migrating away from it. They're saying, if I'm going to be locked down, at least let me be locked down in a warmer place that I can be outside because that seemed like it was the best thing to do. For sure. And I think it, COVID gave people the opportunity to, to try something new. To, to, to go to Florida, to, to, to go to other places and to um, spend some meaningful amount of time there, not just a weekend, right, or a week or a short vacation. Uh, and, uh, and then once they sort of settled in, they said, you know, this is, this is pretty nice. Let's see if we can, we can make this work for a little longer period. And I think that, that um, that's what's prompted people to, to move. And, um, and quite frankly, I think that migration is real. You know, I think a lot of people that have moved to some of these um, hubs, um, warmer weather, uh, better quality of life. Uh, you know, better balance, you know, uh, they're, they're unlikely to go back to, to some of those other markets, especially if they have the flexibility yeah. to, to continue to work from there. So on, on one aspect, it seems like getting a mortgage, getting a, a home equity line of credit, uh, you know, doing financial moves with your properties to get more properties or the relationship between, you, you know, you, you've always been able to get loans like against your stocks. And so now this just solidifies Bitcoin as, as the same type of asset class. Um, but it's still like a fairly private thing. You, you, and that's, I think from the consumer and you want your financial relationship to be, to be private. You don't want to let everyone know what you're doing. Um, but I do see these, some of these projects like the bacon protocol, uh, that's like securitizing homes and, and very quickly securitizing homes and then putting them on the blockchain, fractionalizing them into like NFTs and then passing kind of the interest. Do you think we're going to go there or is, will that stay a niche, a niche market, a niche product? That's, that's a great question. And it's one that I, that I think a lot about, um, you know, sort of 
where where is there an opportunity to possibly change the way that things have been done? Um, so, for example, you know, in this in this country, the majority of mortgages um, are really subsidized by the government, by you know, sort of the agency, sort of Fannie and Freddie, um, and that was really something that was started, you know, a, a long time ago, right? Sort of in the fifties, and it was sort of a reaction to being able to sort of stabilize housing and, and being able to um, incentivize primary homeownership. And with that, it allowed um, more people to be able to access home credit. It allowed people to basically get thirty-year mortgages, um, but it was really built on you know what the government was was doing. And today, you know, there's over ten trillion dollars of mortgages that are out there. You know, trillions of dollars of mortgages get originated every single year because of that uh, methodology of um, being an originator, where someone makes a mortgage, it's underwritten to the standards that are acceptable to the agencies, um, you know, for risk. Uh, for income levels and all these sort of these qualifying criteria sets um, that allows uh, the loan buyer, which in this case is, is the government, to be very comfortable with underwriting um, this loan. And you know that system works, but it's very very rigid. You know, meaning you know you are either going to be able to qualify for that loan or you're not. And I think that as you think about it, um, you know things like crypto don't necessarily fit nicely into that box. Yeah. Um, and so now. You know, there's this opportunity to really think about well, what what else could there be if you don't originate a loan and you don't sell it to the government? Well, well, what happens there? And, and there's a sort of private credit, you know, private uh, mortgage market that's out there where people are comfortable um, thinking about different qualifying criteria, um, but the rates are higher, right? There's there's a, there's different risk, and you don't have that government subsidy to be able to get that really really low rate, but it is an opportunity. Um, and then I think that there is this universe where possibly some of that does migrate into into crypto and you're able to leverage other aspects um, as well to create this third you know potential mortgage market wow. out there um, that that could develop um, you know I think that with that you know you're going to have the absence of potentially that that government that US government subsidy but it could be the beginning of this new uh, capital market structure which uh, you know Milo as a company, is definitely going to be sort of exploring to see how do we how do we expand credit to more consumers over time. Um, but at that that third category is the one that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's really cool to see, and it's like um, there's so many. A lot of that, a lot of the risk comes down to the underwriting, and I didn't realize, like, what percent of mortgages out there are subsidized by the government, and what does that actually mean? So what what that means, uh, and I'll say that it's the majority of the market, right? You know, the, the because they're if you think about, you know, when you issue issue debt, you know, there's ultimately someone who wants to hold that debt, and they're going to determine what is an acceptable level of interest that they need to earn for that, for 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 lending out their capital, right? The fixed income bond market, and what ends up happening is that if I decide to lend to someone, and maybe I'm comfortable lending to them at ten percent, you know, just just hypothetically, right? Um, where uh, I think that there's a probability of of default there, or that they won't pay me. And depending whether it's secured credit, right, by housing, or unsecured credit, like a credit card or an auto, uh, or, or or some type of you know personal line of credit, um, what will end up happening is that you know what the government has done with the agencies is they've they've come in and they've stepped in and said you know we will take potentially some of that loss. So now you as an investor, if you're covered from that loss, you're likely to accept a lower level of interest rate because you have less yeah. risk in, in, in that aspect. 
Um, so that's essentially what the government has done is that they are the backstop for a lot of what happens in the mortgage market. So that's that subsidy that I'm talking about that um, allows institutions, right, very, very large governments to buy, you know, Fannie and Freddie backed mortgage bonds, um, you know, governments around the world, endowments, sovereign wealth funds, real, you know, sort of asset managers that uh, that have trillions of dollars at their disposal. You know, they're very comfortable doing that, just like they're very comfortable buying uh, a U.S. Treasury uh, security, right? A bond or a bill or some other type of, of, of government, you know, U.S. government. This is how the world note. goes around. Exactly. So you have that aspect and then you say, you know, a, a treasury yields something. And then now you have a mortgage component and the rate will be slightly higher, but it's very, very, very tight. So that allows, um, you know, someone who basically gets out of a loan here to be able to now, you know, borrow money at, at 4%. You know, I think the twos and threes um, are, are, are gone, um, you know, but, uh, but borrow money very, very cheaply, where if someone was lending someone money for 30 years on their own, right, they would probably be asking a very, very high level of interest. Um, so so that, that subsidy is, is really what that government provides. So like a private, a private lending pool wouldn't really want to securitize all their debt and offer it as like a fund for, for other wealth to invest in because the interest rates are, it's too high. I mean, they're, they're charging 10 to 15% or whatever. Whereas yeah. traditionally, these, the, you know, banks can offer right now at least like two to 4% or three to 4% or whatever, because they're yeah. government backed and then they can access institutional capital. They can borrow for basically for free from the government because they're so big. So you have all these big companies just working with each other. Institutions are all just trading with each other, offering the American housing market as like a, an, an ETF style fund to the rest of the world, dollar denominated. But what you can do now, Milo Credit can do is because all the middlemen are you, you are everything. Uh, and you have all these homes that are locked up now. You have the liens against you as a startup. I wouldn't even say you're a startup anymore. Could launch the same type of institutional fund, but because your rates are like maybe even half of what a private lending would 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 require, that's an attractive fund to potentially invest in. You could NFT that. Like, that's like a, and then because of these loans are like Bitcoin backed, it's like double win. I'm now investing in the American housing market, but I'm also investing in some Bitcoin too. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that idea. that's uh, that 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 opportunity to. Um, you know, really find a good consumer that I think that the established sort of system isn't really recognizing uh, or sort of underwriting, I think, or, or adding the right, you know, sort of risk uh, metric to, uh, and then sort of pulling that all together and saying there's an opportunity here in, in, in what is a very, very large asset class, which is the real estate market. You know, the real estate market, you know, sort of in the U.S. is over 35 trillion. Um, it's 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 a it's a massive space, and, and one of the reasons why I think we have we have a, a really big opportunity here um, to to innovate and and, and possibly change uh, the way that things have been have been done and and, and expand credit. Um, I will, however, say that you know for a majority of the people that are in this country, right, they, they they are able to sort of get these mortgages, um, but I don't think anybody has ever said, "Hey, I had a fantastic mortgage experience. Let's 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 do that again." Right? Yeah, so there's, 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 there's a big opportunity right. there. Right? So, do you um so so Bitcoin would it would it make your job easier if there was a mechanism within Bitcoin code itself that allowed you to custody it where there was no risk other than Bitcoin code breaking or blockchain? Like right now, you have to probably pay a custody provider to maintain that, and that goes into the cost. 
Would you like to see, because there are Bitcoin developers listening, would you like to see something like that? Would that change how you, 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 you price risk? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think that there's that element of understanding once you have collateral, right? I think that the part of, for example, real estate, you know, real estate as an asset class, um, the way that, you know, your lien is perfected is that that's recorded with counties. And, and in that county, there's a lien that uh, everybody that looks at that property when you run a title search, you know whether there's a debt or something or a claim on that asset. Um, and it allows to basically uh, allow a lender to get comfortable with deciding to extend credit to that person. And I think that if there is an opportunity to do something similar like that, then then that would be tremendously valuable because now um, someone else would know that there is some type of claim on that asset um, yeah. and would definitely sort of facilitate uh, a transaction to you be be quicker and you know possibly even in in real time to extend credit and and obviously that that opens up a wealth of opportunities um, to be able to extend credit to more people and 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 really think about even even duration right how long do you extend credit to someone right someone may not want something that is a, a year or, or 20 years or 30 years right they might might, might want oh, something yeah. shorter it also varies by state too right all states have different property laws and like like florida has a quick deed you can you could take over the property in 30 days or something whereas like yeah. new york it takes oh my god i'm in that process like two years because we loan so much money up there so it's like what's your what's like is there a worse state than new york state for like property rights and stuff like that I yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, yes. Sorry, I think I, I lost it for a second. Um, I, I think that that that's one of the things around mortgage is that there's a ton of regulation, and with that regulation, it really is on a state by state basis. And so everybody has sort of different ways of recording loans, it has different ways of sort of interpreting laws, and, and that's what makes the mortgage market very very interesting. And um, and quite quite honestly, right, that that creates a lot of the complexity there because you can't really standardize yeah. it. So these, so these rates that, you know, we're talking about the Federal Reserve raising these rates, it doesn't just affect home prices, it affects your credit card rate, it affects your auto finance late rate, it, it, it reflects all different types of rates. Um, is there like a number that if, that if inflation and or these interest rates rise too much, that people won't be able to afford to like service their debt anymore? I think that. You know where where rates are today. I think that they're they're still at sort of historical all time lows. So low. If you think yeah. about where you know where, you know where where rates have been, you know over over the last fifty years, we're 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 on we're we're on the lowest side of that. I think that when you when you run the math and you say, you know, rates have moved roughly about a percent over the last sort of forty five to sixty days higher. Um, rates in twenty eighteen, you know, were higher as well. Right, the Fed was raising rates. At that point in time, we had multiple uh, rate hikes, and then we ran into COVID, and then there was this adjustment to, to reduce rates. Um, but that didn't stunt the housing market because a lot of the reasons of why people are buying housing are driven around, you know, sort of their personal situation of where they are in their life. If you think about, you know, the housing market in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, you know, most people were getting mortgages at seven and eight percent interest rates and, and many even even higher than that. Oh, yeah, so if you remember. think about it today and say someone getting a you know a four or five percent interest rate, it's still attractive, right? From 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 that perspective. Um, so I think we do have some room where rates could move pretty significantly to the upside and and it not really impact housing um, that much so because of all of these other sort of macro events that are happening out there um, where you know if your rate goes up you know a percent and 
maybe now your mortgage payment goes up, you know, two or three hundred dollars, you know, depending on you know the amount of of the loan that you're getting, you know, is that material enough for people to decide not to buy a home? Uh, I I would say that for for the majority of people, that's not the determining factor um, to 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 not buy a home. Um, I'll add to that, you know, the other thing that we've been seeing is that rents have been rising yeah, rapidly yeah. Um, across the country. Um, I think that you know we've seen that for our team members all across the country, their rates have gone up. Uh, sorry, their rental rates have gone up pretty significantly. Um, so right now we're in this really interesting place where if you think about you know sort of your housing cost, because your rents have rise so much and your mortgage costs are still would be lower than that, there's this opportunity where even if your mortgage is higher, you're probably still going to be less than if you're paying rent. And so there's that slack where for a long period of time, it was more economic, it was beneficially to you to rent as opposed to buying. Now that has inverted. And, uh, and, and that's why I think a lot of reasons why a lot of people are considering buying as opposed to continuing to rent because they would own and they would actually pay less a month from a housing expense perspective. We have this like very robust credit and capital market institutional world here in the U.S. We have real estate as a function, as a real estate, as a function of, of that, you know, it's part of the retail and institutional like cycle of funds that everyone, so it's, it's all very connected. It all works. And that enables for as long as like America exists, the economy over a long term dollar exists, you know, there's 500 million people living here. We're all working together. Home prices continue to rise. You know, it's just a function of the economy. It's a function of economics. But I, I read somewhere that that real estate is not, not like this in the rest of the world. Like, I have to look up the details. But apparently in Japan, over time, home prices, they go down to zero. It's like they depreciate like a, like a used car. And I'm like, can't figure out why. And I'm trying to understand if it's because people there just don't sell their houses ever. Like older folks just leave it to their kids or people just aren't buying homes. I don't know what's going on there. I'm going to Google this. Yeah. I think that that, um, that was an observation for us um, around working with international clients and, and them buying real estate in the U S is that aspect that um, uh, we have uh, our mortgage markets are different, right? A lot of places don't even have mortgage markets. Right, the way that we are able to do a thirty-year mortgage because of that government um, involvement, uh, other other countries may may have a one-year loan or a two-year loan. Um, other countries also have different mechanisms around how they're able to depreciate those assets as well. Right, from a, from a tax structure um, that changes some of the incentives around holding holding homes and, and, and what that what that drives. Yeah, um, I think that uh, you know our market is very very unique and 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 the system. Um, has has allowed it to basically grow because of some of these mechanisms that, that were instituted in our markets. So you're opening up more, the, the relationship between capital and your home is is getting closer. So now it's always been your, you know, buying your first home was, was the, I remember like my parents telling me like, oh, your home is not a good investment asset. You're not going to make money in your home. It's, you're going to lose money over the long term or whatever, investment properties. But it's different now because you can work to build equity in your home and then use that to, f- to fractionalize a piece of it, get a home equity line of credit, which traditionally was very difficult to do. But now you can do it at almost the click of a switch and it could be based on, you can have your Bitcoin as collateral that could be there. So now people are using that uh, to like further their, their own wealth and to build up their empires. It's, 
you've you weren't able to do that i mean the technology and the software and even like people trusting a website uh to do that is so new i mean even so rocket mortgage didn't exist until like 2016 i think right or 2015 yeah 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 it was 2016 so it was quick and quick and before that and that process was so difficult to do and so this is complete i think you're right i think it's a lot of headwinds a lot of tailwinds so, so tell me about your product like a lot of folks are listening um, everyone on the show has crypto has bitcoin uh but they've seen it's they've seen on all these other uh places to collateralize that get short-term loans the interest rates are very high 10 percent plus it's really not worth it for anyone why is getting a, yeah. a bitcoin mortgage different and how are the rates lower yeah, that's that's a, that's a great question, and, and it was something that that we thought about for a while, right? And you know, I had been in 2017, even before I started Milo. You know, I had this idea uh, around around crypto and what it would mean for for individuals, and 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 I felt that it would be this opportunity where wealth creation would happen, and that at some point in time, um, as people were amassing this crypto wealth, they would want to do something with that wealth. Um, and I felt that you know the opportunity was around. Uh, buying real world assets and you know, sort of buying homes uh, and buying sort of other assets. And, you know, interestingly enough, I thought art would be one of those asset classes and, you know, sort of NFTs came around. Uh, but, but I did feel that uh, people would, would want to do that and, and that would become a more important component. Um, but I did feel that 2017, we were too early. Um, we were too early in that sense that as an asset class, you know, crypto as a whole was roughly sort of 400 billion and, um, and, and we weren't there yet, you know, and sort of fast forward. Um, you know, at that time, you know, I was calling for the asset class to be roughly three trillion by twenty uh, twenty two, and and we got to that level last year, and and sort of seeing what was happening and that there was a lot more wealth out there, uh, and we started asking our consumers, you know, what, uh, you know, do you have crypto? You know, how do you think about your crypto? And and everybody was sort of talking about it as this was a long term asset for them, and it was sort of this alternative and. You know, we thought about you know some of these loans that were out there that were you know short term in nature, and I think that there's a place for them. Um, but I felt that we needed to figure out a way of how do you get longer duration, because buying real estate for some people they may flip it on a short term, but the true benefit is holding it for a longer period of time, right through those cycles um, to really be able to maximize um, homeownership. And you know the beauty of real estate is that you're able to get leverage on it. You're able to borrow, right? You're able to you know, put a small amount of money down and benefit from that appreciation um, where you don't have to finance 100% of that transaction. Um, so we were looking at this saying, well, how can we combine, um, you know, Bitcoin with the desire to buy real estate and saying, well, this needs to be longer. You can't be doing six month loans and one year type loans to actually get the, the desired um, return right. And, uh, and that was really sort of what the magic of, of our product is sort of getting something that is longer um and at the same time thinking about you know the big motivator which is how do you continue to keep your bitcoin through this period of time and understanding that bitcoin helps to reduce some of the risk in the transaction um because now you can get more comfortable with not just you know having the real estate there but having the the ability to to, to have bitcoin as well so by combining those things um it allows you to to to, to really get this really really nice um solution where you get to keep your bitcoin you get to invest in real estate and ultimately, you know, as a lender, we're able to mitigate some of that risk by combining both of them. You, uh, you're also setting up your, the technology to be somewhat agnostic in just, Hey, 
it needs to be a crypto. And it's my very, very firm belief that anything that can be securitized will be securitized. Yep, so absolutely. I'll be able to go out and get a verified uh, uh, NFT issued that represents 100% ownership in my house. And then I could potentially take that, deposit it in Milo, and get more credit. You know what I mean? Like anything. You talk about art. I think one of the, the it's impossible to do it. I've never seen it. It's impossible to do it now. But I want to be able to securitize everything on my personal balance sheet and be able to use that and get credit based on like the total. So you're talking about mm -hmm. art, crypto, real estate, all sorts of type of assets, even cars, even even depreciating assets have a benefit of securitizing on top of a blockchain. And I think that's where you're yep. going to see. It's like a, just removing all of these because because you can go out now. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine if I called up like like, you know, BMO Harris or something it was like, hey, I have like, you know, some I have a friend who has like a few million dollars in 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 all these different assets. Can you take it all and basket it all together and issue like a 30 percent TLV loan? Oh, my God, they're going to be making crazy percentages and, and origination fees and everything just for the due diligence, the title searching, the custody, everything. You're building now the mechanism to do that all at the like like drag and drop, drag and drop. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's the future right there. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you think about, you know, how how does credit happen in, in the US, it's it's primarily driven around a credit score. And actually having that score which which sort of catalogs all of the credit that you've taken out over a period of time and, and attributes a number. And so, you know, if you pay your if you pay your bills on time, then you'll have a higher credit and you'll have a higher likelihood of being able to qualify. And if you don't, then you'll have a lower score and you may not be able to qualify for certain aspects of it. I think that you know, in, in sort of crypto, there's this opportunity to be able to catalog that with your actual assets and be able to, you know, create this alternative credit system to that. Um, and if you're able to sort of create that mechanism to to have some type of lean on those assets, and it actually becomes a safer system to be able to extend credit because you have recourse and you have the ability to yeah. to, to to essentially offer a solution to someone uh, much, much quicker where um in the conventional world you're really having to rely on this credit score and you can slice it up any number of ways but ultimately a lot of it defaults back to how do you um uh mitigate default yeah. in those situations in this case you actually would have very sort of perfect collateral that you would actually have a claim and and, and you could really extend credit a lot a lot faster because you have that um that asset already tied to your profile so i'm i'm really excited around some of the evolution that comes with these alternative credit uh, systems that could could be done with crypto to to really uh, make the world a, a lot fairer around being able to offer the right solutions and and really sort of pricing these loans a, a lot a uh, lot more reasonably right, from from a rate and risk perspective. Yeah, you're right. You to you're totally right. You can you can almost like reinvent uh, a new credit social credit score system. But um, in the U.S., we have this FICO credit score system. I want to know your thoughts on it. But how does how do European banks do loans? Do they have the same type of credit score system? I, mean, I think it depends on the type of loan that that they're, that they're doing. Um, but a lot of it is definitely sort of driven around you know the consumer, their profiles. Um, you know, definitely credit scoring. You know, I think that 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 that's sort of you know sort of prevalent in sort of the developed countries um, that they do have those mechanisms, and some work better than others. But I think ultimately it's it's driven around that, and I think that that's the challenge around the world is that. In places where you don't have those systems in place, it's just much, much harder to get credit because there's really nothing to fall back on. And then there are varying opinions on how do you extend credit. 
and you know the desire to want to extend credit and you see that and you, you it's reflected in the interest rates where the majority of the rates around the world are significantly higher than they are here in the, the US if you can even access credit um, so I think that that's the opportunity to to really create some of these systems to be able to distribute them into into the world um, to be able to um, to provide more credit to, to more people that um, out of no fault of their own they they should qualify for credit. Yeah. It's just that the system isn't designed for them uh, yet. What's the cheapest way to borrow money? Like I've heard that billionaires can borrow money. Be a, like be a, be a one... bank. Yeah. <laughs> like, so what does that government? mean? Do you have Do you have to have just like a massive stock and 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 financial portfolio that you can go to your bank and they can lend you money at like one or two percent? Because I've heard this is true. Yeah, it it is true. So so I come come from that world, right? Sort of the asset management, wealth management world at, at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. And you know, if you had a large account for for a client, you you could borrow money very 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 cheaply uh, because you have those assets, and those assets allow the bank to get comfortable with it. And then there's this element of sort of relationship based lending, right? And relationship based pricing, wow. where the totality of the relationship, where you might subsidize a rate for them because you hope to get more business from them over time that you can potentially monetize in other ways. Um, so there's a value that's attributed to that and, and, and you come up with, with that aspect um, to, to, to really give them a, a great deal uh, on, on that loan. And, and I think that that's the part where, you know, for most consumers that don't have those relationships, it's hard to be able to access that and, and they have to really sort of step and look at the market that's out there and, and and really be able to access credit. Or if you don't have those qualifying aspects, you know, you may not be able to access credit. Um, so it's definitely slopes in that way of, um, you know, having access to certain institutions. My brother is buying a house right now, actually. And he's like less than 30 days from closing. It's a newly built house. Should he take, well, that's a, not a financial question, but, they're incentivizing him to not shop around his rate and all the, the closing statement information. They, the builder wants to do it themselves. Is, mm -hmm. Should people be, you know, I, I, a lot of people on the show are probably going through the same type of process. Do you think mm -hmm. that, that, that he should be kind of shopping his rate around a little bit? Yeah, I think people should, should think about it in terms of solution, right? I think rate is one consideration. I think that there are other factors that are equally as important, oh, right? Right, sort of, sort of that certainty that you can actually get that loan that you're not going to get to the last minute, and then Rug you're not going to be able to qualify for a loan, right? Which, which happens a lot, right? I think that, um, I think that that was one of the things that with us um, was really, really important. That you know, if we tell a customer from the beginning that we're going to be able to do a loan, we do a loan, right? We actually close on that transaction because our technology has allowed us to be able to underwrite the consumer and. And you really feel good about doing that that transaction, giving them that certainty. Um, so I think that you know certainty that the transaction is going to happen is important, right? I think for us, you know, why we wanted to do this this crypto mortgage and really launch that is because that desire for people to want to keep their crypto, right? That's a consideration. Um, that element of not selling their crypto is is an important consideration. So I, I would say that you know, for anybody that's out there buying real estate, you know, you should look at what are the important things for you personally, right? Do you want that certainty? Do you, um, how long do you plan on keeping that property for? Because it, you know, there's different loans that might actually make sense um, in, in your specific situation. Um, but I think that rate is just one factor to, to look at. Really appreciate you taking the time coming on Untold Stories today. Um, is there somewhere where the listeners can go and get more information about the different products, about the crypto mortgage? Yeah, absolutely. So, so they can go onto, onto our website, you know, mylocredit.com. 
um, as well as on our Twitter account. Um, and then we also have a Discord group where uh, individuals are able to, to ask questions, ask for features, and, and we're, we're talking to the community. And, and ultimately, oh, wow. you know, our, our product is going to continue to develop and, and, and I want to build the best solution possible. So, um, you know, I want to listen to what people want and, and, and we'll, keep, we'll keep pushing this because I think that there's a big opportunity to, to help lots and lots of people. That's amazing. Congratulations. It's an amazing product. I'm, I'm excited to use it and to, for all the listeners to be able to find out about it and, and learn more. It's like just solidifies that you're willing to take a risk on us. It further solidifies that we're, we're in the right industry. We're doing the right thing because there's absolutely. still a lot of fear in that. It's like, oh, just crypto fat or whatever, but it's not. So yeah, absolutely. Really yeah. And, that, and, that, and that, that is sort of a big part, you know, where, where I believe, you know, crypto as an asset class over the next three, five, seven years, 10 years will become a bigger component of of people's net worth and, and 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 Milo as a company, we want to be we want to be part of that solution, right? We want to build things that people can really use. So thank you, Charlie. Appreciate you having me on the show.